0: All right, well, let's get into the Word of God. Does that sound exciting to you guys? Wow. I'm ready for the Word of God. Amen. We are looking and finishing up the letter to the church in Smyrna today, and obviously it's Father's Day, so I'm, I'm tasked with the thing. Do I do that thing that every Southern Baptist preacher that I've ever known does? And they always do the Mother's Day sermon and the, and the, and the Fourth of July sermon and the, all this stuff, you know. Uh, but I I, I found I, now I, I have a hard time with that. I do. My wife's like, "You gonna do a Father's Day sermon?" I'm like, "No, you know, uh, I'm gonna preach what the Lord says, you know." Um, but I have found though that uh, many times, uh, many many times, just like on Mother's Day and Father's Day, and I don't know if it's subconsciously, I'm like I'm like leaning in whatever application I could find that applies to a father or a mother or whatever. But um, I hope I'm not doing that. But I, I have found that. Most of the time, the Lord is faithful to preach and teach just exactly what we need to hear that day. And so maybe it may not be a Father's Day sermon, but I promise you this, the lessons that are found uh, in the second half of the book, of the letter to the Church of Smyrna, fathers, if you will apply these lessons to your life, I guarantee you beyond a shadow of a doubt that you will be the most amazing father that anyone's ever known, Amen just like if you apply them mothers, that you will be the best mother that you could possibly imagine." But I do believe that this text lends itself a little bit more to a father because this is a letter from Jesus Christ, who is the authority over the church to the church in what they could do in order to be who God's called them to be. And fathers, you are uh, necessarily and explicitly called by the scriptures to be the leader of your home, to be the authority figure in your home, and to be priests uh, and pastors to your own families. And in so much, you are called called to lead your family to be who God's called them to be. Really, essentially, you are called to do exactly what Jesus is showing John to do, and that is give uh, the church, your family, the information and the uh, leading and teaching and presence and authority that they need in order to make the changes or uh, renewals or additions that they need to make in their lives in order to be the people that God desires for them to be. And so as we read through the rest of this, you're going to see here that these principles absolutely apply across the board, obviously, because these churches, we've already said, are representative of every church, and the church is not a building, but it is a group of people, right? So the lessons that are taught to the church at Smyrna are applicable, or they are, they are worthy to, to, to have impact on us as a church, as a group of individuals who gather together to love the Lord Jesus Christ. We are Christ body. So this letter to Smyrna is absolutely applicable to all of us. But if you understand how the, the, how the world works and how reality works and how God created everything to work, then you'll understand that the family is a, uh, a mini picture of uh, the church and Jesus Christ. That's why in Ephesians chapter 5 he said, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And so really it, it goes from uh, Christ and 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 the, the Trinity, Christ with the Father and the, and the Spirit operating in perfect unity with one another, with, with functional roles and God the Father being uh, 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 an authority over Christ. He sends Christ many, many, many times. In the Scriptures Jesus says, I did not come on behalf but on, by the one who sent me. I come to do his work will. Jesus Christ then sends the Spirit. So we see these functional roles even within the Trinity, within the Godhead. Beyond that, lower than that, is Christ, the Trinity, Christ, and the church. And we see that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, uh, just like the husband is the head of the wife, which is the next layer. So you see it coming all the way down here. And when we get to the family, men, you are called to be Jesus to your wife. We had a great conversation here on Wednesday night the other night because some men are having struggles with their wives right and uh we don't just get together and talk about you ladies but we talk about us and we talk about how we can change right as a matter of fact i've seen some men start to 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 start to down their wives and they'll get smacked by another man and say you you ain't got no business talking about who she is and her problems because if you'll fix your problems her problems will work themselves out you be who God called you to be, and you let God do work in her life through you. Now, why, now I didn't plan none of this, but I'm going to run with it. Why is it that we oftentimes as men struggle in our relationship with our wives as we try to lead? Because we try to leave in the wrong type of authority. We try to be uh, the judging God over our wives instead of Jesus to our wives. But Jesus Christ said, husbands, love your wives as I have loved the church and gave myself up for her. So we are not to be a God-dominating ruling over our wives, but we are supposed to be Jesus Christ who is God-serving. Is this making any sense? So as you serve and love your wife and as you obey the Father, then they will work out their own salvation with the Lord through your example by your leading. It is an amazing thing. And so we see that work itself on up the food chain. So this is an introduction on how this letter can relate to what today is, is a day that we've set aside as a nation to honor fathers, to honor those who are daddies, okay? And so I want you to see how this can apply to you, but this absolutely applies to everybody in the church. And when we see what the letter teaches, if we will operate in that vein, if we will put this teaching of this letter into our lives, we will watch the Lord transform us in an amazing way into who he has called us to be. Now, Let's all stand to our feet as we read the letter. I'm just going to read the whole letter. It's only, uh, it's only three verses, uh, so let's just read the whole thing. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, this is verse eight. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give view the crown of life he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches plural the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. That's absolutely important right there. I believe it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please be with us today as we get into the scriptures. Teach us, lead us, guide us, help us to understand this, write it on our hearts, that it not be a head knowledge, but that it be a, a heart um, uh, relationship that works itself out through our lives. We pray it all in Christ's name, who got it done on the cross. Amen. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of His Word. I get excited about the Word of God because I know that it is the Word of God and the preaching of the Gospel that we need in order to be who God's called us to be. Not just for salvation alone, uh, justification, but sanctification as well. The hearing of God's Word by the people of God sits down in our lives and it, and it and it cuts away things that we don't need to be there in order that we might be exactly who God's called us to be. That we might bear fruit. That we might be transformed by the renewing of our minds. You need to hear the word of God and not just on Sunday mornings. I was talking with a guy this morning, you need to be preaching the gospel to yourself every minute of every day. You need to be in the Word of God. This is why we get into the Word of God. It's not that we are doing what we're supposed to do like a robot, following these rules and guidelines and all these things, but that we need the Word of God because it is the Word of God that is effective to do what we need done, and that is to prune us, to do surgery on us, to to show us and lead us and guide us in all uh, the wisdom that we need, and that is Found in Jesus Christ. We need to continually preach the gospel to ourselves every minute of every day that it might transform us. Now, the the church at Smyrna was one of only two churches that had nothing negative to say about it. We talked last week uh, a good bit about the uh, introduction to this letter. In the introduction to every letter that is written to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, Uh, The introduction starts out in those uh, letters, uh, and, and and it gives us attributes about our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, that is exactly the attribute or the aspect of Christ that is needed to help with whatever situation that this church finds itself in. And that's true for every book, I mean every letter. So as we read this, we look at the attributes that are described of Jesus Christ, and it gives us a hint about what's coming and about how to deal with what's coming. So let's look back at that, and we'll start to unpack a little bit. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. So we see Jesus Christ here, and this this comes from the vision that was received in chapter 1, that John received in chapter 1. So when we see Jesus Christ here writing this letter, he describes himself as the first and the last, the one who died and came uh, to life. We're going to see some things that you're going to need to know that this God who is God over you has suffered who is the beginning and the end, who knew exactly what was coming, who did it anyway, and who conquered death. He was there in the beginning, and he's there in the end. Nothing snuffed him out, because even though he died, he came back to life. So you're going to need to know this. You're going to need to apply this to your life to get through what you're about to go through. And if all of us, if all of us can find a a parallel or find meaning or find that this applies to us, then you're going to need to know that as well. Why? Why? Why Why would we need to know this? Well, let's read on. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich in the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not but a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Do you see how that read? Now, we talked last week a little bit about um, these Jews who proclaimed to be Jews, and they weren't really Jews. And we talked about those who uh, are false apostles and what does it mean to be a true Jew. We look back at uh, John chapter 8 where Jesus Christ said of many of these that physically speaking, you are Jews. Ethnically speaking, you are Jews. But, 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 but Abraham is not your father. And we saw that he made a distinction between a true Jew who is one spiritually and a false Jew who is one ethnically or fleshly. Now, obviously, we can have a fleshly Jew and a true Jew all in one person. It is those who will be uh, forever changed and saved and justified uh, in the days to come. It was by faith that that Abraham was saved. It was his belief in God that was credited to him as righteousness. So we see this distinction here come out of those who are true Jews and those who are only ethnic. Jews and those who do not believe in Jesus Christ were called by Jesus Christ in John chapter 8 children of the devil and not children of God and so therefore even though they are ethnic Jews even though their father they did descend from Abraham fleshly speaking they are not true Jews they are not children of Abraham this is significant why This is significant because if you understand all of biblical theology, and, and not that you're going to understand it all, but if you understand some of the things that have been said about who the Jews were and who Israel was and the distinction between Jews and, and, and other believers, Gentile believers in the church, then we start to ask these questions like, okay, uh, were the were the promises made in the Old Testament, was that for just ethnic Israel because that's who they're made to? Or does it have a greater application, a broader application to all those who would come to Jesus Christ in faith? So what does it mean to be a child of of Abraham? What does it mean to be one of those who the promise was made to? Can we, can we take comfort from, can we uh, uh, look to the Old Testament and get great hope for the promises that were made to Israel? Can we uh, get hope from that? Can we say, that's my promise in Christ? There's so much more to be said here, but I think this is a great window. Along with what's already been said in the book, and many of you have have missed some and come some. Listen, I tell you, try to be here every week. Try to be here every week, because you're going to miss something, and it's going to be good, and you're going to miss it. It's going to be good, a connection right there. So if we look back at Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, do you remember what we looked at in there? You say, I I didn't remember, and I was here, brother. (laughs) Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, what is it talking about? It's talking about a holy priesthood. You remember that? A holy nation, a royal priesthood. And who was that promise made to that they would become a royal priesthood? You remember it? It was made to Israel, that Israel be a royal priesthood. Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, I do believe. But who is it applied to in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6? All believers all believers. You say, what does this got to do with anything? I want to show you what it's got to do with anything. When we show right here, it says, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. You see, there are those who think, there are those who think that they are children of God by the things that they do. By the, by, the, by the family that they were born into, by the organization that they were born into. This happens a lot in Roman Catholicism. Now, I'm not going to sit up here and say that all Roman Catholics are unsaved, but I will tell you that that there are many in the Roman Catholic Church that think because they were born into that church and sprinkled as a baby that they're a part of the church universal and that they will be with God one day. But I can take that and broaden it out a little bit because there are many, many Baptists, there are many Pentecostals, there are many Charismatics, there are many Methodists who believe because they were born to a family who did believe that they have inherited the blessings of eternal life. And I'm afraid that they, along with many others, will stand before God God. And they will say, but you were our father. And he will say, no, I was not. You didn't even know me. But Jesus Christ says here that there are many who claim to be people of God and they will come against you. They will rise up against you. They will persecute you. They will hate you. They will look down on you, but do not fear when you suffer that because they only had the appearance of children of God. They only have the appearance of people of God. But I tell you that all of that is of Satan. That is not of God. How do we know then if we're of God and not of those false believers, not of those who falsely take on the name of religion? How do we know that we're the set apart from every other religion in the world? See, this is the the big problem uh, that we get from our culture, is the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Is that He's exclusive. He, 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 He says there is no other way that Jesus Christ, I gotta get this off of me. That Jesus Christ is intolerant. That's the drumbeat of our society. Tolerance, tolerance. Tolerance. You must tolerate everybody, which is intolerant just so you know. If you say you have to tolerate everybody or your intolerance won't be tolerated. I've got the right to be intolerant, right? If you tolerate everyone. You see, everyone's screaming, tolerant, tolerant, tolerant. You must be tolerant. Jesus Christ comes along and says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And no man can come to me unless the Father draws him. He dials it all the way into this little pinhole. You can get there by this little bit of way right here. And everybody that doesn't come this way is going to hell. Try saying that in this world. So how do we know? How do we know if we're of the Father? If we are if we are of Christ? How do we know if we're the truth? Let's read on here. You're not gonna like the answer. But you will appreciate it. Some of you will. The true believers in the room, you'll appreciate it. Listen to this. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich in the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Here is, the, here is the, the hallmark, and here is the, here is the uh, anchor by which we know that we will have eternal life with Him. Now, many of you say, well, I prayed that prayer, and that was my anchor, brother. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. I have so many people that come to me and they say, I say, you ever, you ever come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? They say they say something like this, and I'm sorry if this offends you, but if it does, you need to be offended. They say something like this, well, I prayed that prayer 15 years ago. Have you, have you read your Bible? Well, no, but I'll get to it one day. If you said a prayer, 15, 20, 30 years ago, some prayer, and you never looked at Christ since, then I am not the judge, but I can really look at that evidence and say, I would almost guarantee that you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You say, what gives you the right to say that? The church to Smyrna, the letter to the church at Smyrna. Let's read them. It says here, it says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. We'll come back to that in just a second. Listen to what he says here now. Listen to what he says. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. What is the stipulation of receiving the crown of life? Being faithful unto death. What do we learn from that one sentence in the scriptures? Is that though who are, those who are truly the children of God will persevere to the end. Now we know that it won't be without trial. We know that it won't be without struggle. We know that it won't be without tribulation. We know that it won't be without problems. But in the end, they will persevere. And I, this is a side note. I hadn't planned on going here, but I want to say this because I see a few new faces. And you might have come from a Southern Baptist church down the road, and I want to, I want to, help, with, I want to help you. Now, I'm a Southern Baptist too, so please don't hear me just beating up Southern Baptists. okay? I, I'm affiliated with those guys. I love those guys. But here's, here's a problem that I have with where that could possibly lead. If we hold to once saved, always saved, and we don't make a a distinction between the perseverance of the saints and once saved, always saved, then we're going to get ourselves in trouble. Now, I believe that once you are truly a part of the family of God, you cannot lose that. That's called perseverance. The proper doctrine is called perseverance of the saints. Okay, But there's another idea that has been... uh, morphed off of that and mutated off of that that's called once saved always saved and what this is it's a it's a mutated doctrine in that if you've ever made a decision if you've ever made the profession of faith that you can never then lose your salvation no matter what happens i can't find that in the bible though if we confess with our mouth that jesus christ is lord and savior and that god raised him from the day we shall be saved we say amen But everywhere we turn in the Bible, it says, and that faith has every impact on your life all the way till the day that you die. The profession is not what saves. It is the faith of the regenerate believer that saves. And that same faith has another uh, manifestation. And that is, that that man or that woman will sustain until the end. You cannot have one without the other, and it be true saving faith. And that should cause every one of us to go. Now, what does that mean for you? Does that mean that you may have lost your salvation? Again, I don't believe that you can lose your salvation. But I believe if you are standing in a place that you've you've said some prayer sometime, and you never look back at Christ... I believe that you should stand in a place and you should say, you know, based on the evidence in my life, I have to wonder if I was ever born again in the first place. Because if I would have been, I would not be here. Does that make sense to everyone in the room? Okay, now, let me show you how that's important and relevant right here. It says here that that he says, you're about to be tested, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here again, we're going to skip one verse, and then we're going to read this, and we're going to come back and kind of do it all in one sweep. He says, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Who will not be hurt by the second death? The one who conquers, okay? Okay. Okay now you cannot overcome suffering unless you are suffering okay so we're not saying that trials aren't going to come we're not saying that the tribulations not going to come no As a matter of fact, the complete opposite. We are saying that they will come, but the true man of God, the true believer, the true woman of God who has the Spirit of God dwelling in her or dwelling in him will persevere to the end. Why? Because they're smarter? Because they're stronger? Because they're wiser? Why? It's because the Spirit of God holds you true. It's because it's the same. That's why we understand that those who are truly born again will persevere. It's not because they are great, but it's because the Spirit of God dwells in them, and that Spirit of God cannot fail. You may suffer. You may wane. You may, you may fall, but you will be picked up again, and you will be carried, dragged, pushed, prodded. You cannot give up. That's why many of you, myself included, I've sinned, I've fallen, I've said this many times before. If you can sin and be comfortable with it, you need to question your salvation. I'm not the judge, I'm not telling any of you that you're not saved. I'm not, I can't. I can't see the heart. But I can look at the evidence and say, I'm worried about you, brother, because I love you. I've looked at myself many times in the mirror and I said, what's wrong with you? Test your heart. Where are you at? Why are you doing these things? The Spirit of God compels us. It moves us. You see, if we didn't have the Spirit of God, we would lay down and quit. I've seen many come and go. And I have no excuse while I'm still here, except the Spirit of God causes me to be here. I promise you this. If the Spirit of God hadn't have done it, I'd be gone a long time ago. Because y'all are crazy. And I don't get paid enough for this. (laughs) But I do love you. But I say this. Okay, now, I see some fathers here. I see some fathers in this text right here. Because as a dad, I know that my children are crazy, right? And I just want to go nuts, you know, because I can't get away from them. You know what I'm saying? It's just, they just follow you around everywhere. I go in the bathroom to get some alone time. And I look and there's hands up under the door. I'm like, "Please, Lord Jesus. cause a deep sleep to follow my whole house. Except for me. You know, it increases my prayer life. But it says. So any of you who are fathers and decent fathers. You understand that in order to be a decent father, you have to give up stuff. Got to. There is no way around it. And we can see that as a mini, mini picture of some suffering. You're going to give up some stuff. Now, in America, you know, people who are really suffering, they'd just smack me, and I'd take it, okay, because it's not really suffering. I'm talking about, like, giving up golf, you know. Giving up fishing. If you think that's suffering, you need to be smacked, and I should too. But, but we're just painting a little picture here, okay? We're going, to, we're going to do an object lesson here, okay? Maybe not. I don't even really know what that is, but we're going to do something here. So you might give up some fishing. You might give up some hunting. You might give up some things you like to do, some type of car, truck that you... I just became a minivan man. I drive the wheels off of that thing, right? Don't bother me. People are like... You don't. You ain't cool no more. I was like, I lost that a long time ago. You know, It was falling out of my hair. You're going to give up some things, and it's going to be a type of suffering. Well, let's say a type of giving up, a type of sacrifice. Let's say that. But in, but in order to become who God's called you to become, you've got to do it. You've got to give it up. Now, you could hold on to it. You could hold on to it. And I've seen some people make the distinction between a father and a dad. Man, I like that. I, I, I can appreciate it. I know, what, I know what that means. I know what it's coming from. You've got biological fathers and you've got daddies. There's a lot of you who have been daddies to kids who are not your biological kids. I say praise God for that. And we need that. We need that more. As a matter of fact, we need a ministry that would just spring up some men that says, you know what? I'll be a daddy to this person. I'll be a father. I'll, I'll, I will step in and I'll be that to this person. You have to give up some stuff, but we need it. You see here it says, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So it's the one who comes through the suffering uh, in in conquering that that is evidenced as being the true child of God because the Spirit of God carries them through this suffering. And that is the greatest evidence that they were actually true believing children of God. You see, if we don't believe who who God is, if we don't believe these things, and if we're cut off, then it's because we never did have the Spirit of the Lord inside of us. And I'll tell you right now, if you want to be a good daddy, if you want to be a, a true father, if you want to bring your children into that relationship, then you're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to put some of your stuff aside. And whatever culture you're in will decide just how much you have to give up. Without going through suffering, the proving of the children of God is going to be very difficult. so let's see here what carries us through this suffering because it's going to come now I want to go back now to uh, chapter 10 I mean verse 10 it says this it says Do not fear what you're about to suffer. That means the suffering is inevitable. He says it's coming. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Now, when I first read this, I was like, man, that's a very specific time frame for them to be tested. But I think along with the other numbers, almost every number in Revelation, depending on how I understand the book and it to be interpreted, almost all of them are not literal, but they're figurative, looking to convey a message to us about some allusion to the Old Testament, about some grand truth that can be found in those numbers, or about some other type of truth that we need to understand and recognize. If we understand this, then what this is doing is leading us to another place in the Scriptures. The the book of Revelation is absolutely full of allusions to the Old Testament, many which are in Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, different places. And this is absolutely an allusion back to Daniel chapter one, uh, around verse 12. If you want to turn back there, we're going to read that for just a second. Daniel chapter 1 is an an amazingly similar uh, story here of tribulation and testing for that same amount of time. So he's not looking at a literal 10 days telling the church at Smyrna, you know, the whole church is going to be thrown into jail for 10 days and you're going to be tested. But what he's doing is he is painting a picture and teaching a lesson from a story that they would have absolutely been familiar with in the book of Daniel. So look back at the book of Daniel, chapter 1. We're starting in verse 12. I'll give you a little bit of history because I don't want to read the whole entire thing, uh, and then we'll read on. So in the book of Daniel, we have this place where uh, Daniel, he doesn't want to defile himself with the king's food. But Daniel and three of his friends have been brought into the presence of the king, and they have been seen to be favorable. So they are put into kind of like a service to the king. And all of these youths who are put into service to the king are fed certain foods and given certain drinks so that they can remain healthy, so that they can serve the king in health and prosperity and fatness. And so uh, they are they are served with all types of all kinds of meats and foods and given wine to drink. And we know from the scriptures, even in the New Testament, that a little bit of wine uh, helps your stomach. Paul tells Timothy that. So they are given these. Food and drink for their pleasure and for their health and for their enjoyment because they're taken care of. They're eating at the king's table, right? Now, what other king uh, do we know asks us to come and eat from his table? Christ. Christ. So the believer is always pictured through the scriptures of eating with God or fellowshipping and communing with God in this special type of way. But here Daniel is is tempted and, and commanded even to eat from another king's table, which was an absolute sign of loyalty and respect and homage to that king. And these kings in these days thought of themselves as God. So this would have been parallel to idolatry idol worship if they sat at the king's table and ate the king's food and drank his drink. So Daniel says, I don't want to defile myself to these that were urging him to do that, these servants that were urging him to do that. Well, the servant says, I don't want to get in trouble with the king. I might die if you don't eat this food because if you get sickly looking and, and if, you get, if you get malnourished, then they're going to know that I allowed you to not do this thing and I'm going to get in all kinds of trouble. I might even lose my life. And Daniel says this, starting in verse 12. He says, test your servants for 10 days. "'Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. "'Then let our appearance and the appearance of the ewes "'who eat the king's food be observed observed by you "'and deal with your servants according to what you see.' "'So he listened to them in this manner "'and tested them for 10 days. "'At the end of 10 days it was seen "'that they were better in appearance "'and fatter in flesh than all the ewes "'who ate the king's food.'" So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded them they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah who is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore, they stood before the king. That is going to be massively important. It doesn't seem it here, but he says, therefore, they stood before the king. That's going to be important. I want to show you why. That's really exciting. Verse 20. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them Ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Isn't that crazy? Ten days they suffered, in a matter of speaking, they suffered the lack of this good, fleshly, desirable, delicious king's food. They said, we do not want the riches of this world because we enjoy the riches of our God. And we will not, in the end, we will not suffer because of it. You see this. We will not enjoy this fleshly things for a while. But in the end, in the end, it will absolutely be to, our, to God's glory and to our good. You see it. You see it. Go back to Revelation. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Now, Now, let's connect this together here because this is beautiful when you see the connection. Go back to verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty. That's the lack of goods in a community. Okay? You see that? It is the lack of good things that other people have. Okay, you see it? You see it? Yes, no, I'm dead. Do you see what I'm talking about? Okay, so they seem to be poverty-stricken. I know your tribulation and your poverty. Mine's got it in quotations here. This would be a side note in the Greek. This is a side note. It says, but you are rich. He says, I know your tribulation and I know your poverty, but you're rich. I know you're poverty, but you're rich. What is it? Well, huh? I know you're broke, but I know you're not broke. This is like contradictory unless we understand what he's meaning here. And doesn't Daniel help us to understand what he's meaning? I know you're poverty, but you're rich. I know that you are doing without all of these fleshly things, but you are giving these physical things up for a greater supernatural blessing that will far outweigh any of these things that you are giving up. Your suffering is producing a greater benefit and a greater glory. Where else is that taught in the Scriptures? All over it but Romans chapter 8. We're, we're going to go there in just a second. But, but check this out. He says, I know your poverty... But you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not. Now how does this connect? It's because, you see, the Jews had compromised. The Jews that they are speaking of here had compromised. Why would they compromise? Because in this city, in this time, and in Ephesus as well, in Thyatira, there was trade guilds. There was was all type of idolatrous uh, activities going on. And in this community, in these times, research shows that if you would just compromise, you can worship your God. That's fine. There was many gods praise the lord they said for all these gods we love we welcome them all and if you wanted to be a part of the community and a part of these trade guilds so that you could do business so that you could uh uh, trade goods so that you could buy and sell in the marketplace then you had to carry a mark or you had to be identified with with all of these different gods and if you uh, were to be exclusive If you were to be exclusive, if you were to believe that Jesus Christ is the only, if you were to believe that Yahweh is the only God and that Jesus Christ is the only God that can bring you into the presence and eternal security of salvation, then you would be cut off you would be cut off. We see later on in Revelation that there is coming a day and is already here among us, upon us, that, 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 that you, if you are a Christian, if you profess outwardly and you live by faith and not by sight, if you, if you live that way, it is going to cost you money. It will cost you money. Here, we're, some, we're protected somehow, and people even use it for gain here. But in other places, if you profess this, you will lose contracts if you're a businessman. You will be shunned in restaurants and in marketplaces if they find out you're a believer. Just ask the people who, I don't know why it's always a bakery, but the bakeries are getting hammered. I can't remember what, and I'm not going to start quoting numbers, but I know that there's been a couple bakers sued because they won't make cakes for these homosexual weddings that say certain things on them, and they've lost their entire businesses, been sued for... Lots of money. You see, so the world will look and say, you broke. And Jesus will say, no, you're not. It's the loss. You see, Daniel, Daniel is a perfect picture of this because he says, yeah, we won't enjoy any of these good things. Take it away from us. Take it from us. And watch. Watch, my God, bless. Not just Sustain. Oh, that's a good point even in and of itself. The Lord Jesus Christ is not even looking to just sustain you. He's looking to bless you. And the greater your suffering, the greater the honor and the greater the glory. Now, it's not to say go out and look for suffering. But if you suffer for his name's sake, you will receive multiplied, multiplied for your sustenance and your perseverance. He says, uh, and, and these Jews here, he says, uh, I know that you're, uh, you're poverty, but you're rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. He said, this is not a true church. You see, because these, this synagogue of Satan would have been trying to get these guys to compromise too. Because it was starting, uh, it, would have been, it would have been very uh, risky and, and dangerous for the synagogue of Satan. Because w- any time light gets near darkness... Anytime light gets near darkness, it, it puts the darkness at risk. It, it compromises the darkness. It, 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 it uh, reveals the evil. It, um, it threatens it. So you know as well as I do, even some of the true believers in the room that have let a little darkness creep in. You've allowed the flesh. You've started to sow some seeds to the flesh. When you start to go down that road, when you start to compromise. Now, I think a true believer can begin to compromise. I think we see that in David, a couple of other guys. When you start to compromise, but the Lord will bring you back. The Lord will bring a true believer back. But you start to compromise. You know it as well as I do. When you start to compromise, when you start to get in that realm of darkness, when you start to sow seeds to the flesh, you will start to reap corruption, and you will start to become hardened. You will start to become darkened, and it will get lower and lower, and you'll start to despise people of the light. Even those of you who are believers. And the farther you get away from the light, the farther you get away from Christ, the harder it is to see him. And the more you lash out at people all around you. Because they're a reminder of your broken state. Until finally you come back to the light and you snap out of it. But many just stay right there and they love the darkness. Because the light has come into the world and the darkness hated it and they love the darkness. That's why I'm telling you that if you don't turn and repent, if you don't turn to the Lord, if you don't come back, then it only means that you never really did love the light anyway. You just love the darkness and you are right at home in it. Amen. You see it? So I'm not saying you've lost yourself, I'm not saying any of that. All I'm saying is, children of God, do what children of God do. But they would have been suffering at the hand of these false Jews, these false believers, these false professors. They would have been suffering at their hand because they were being threatened as well because this, these people. So uh, I've, a lot of, uh, I've done a lot of research in history on this. So a lot of these Jews would have been pointing out the Christians and would have been bringing condemnation on the Christians because the Jews who had compromised and who loved the, to, to be a part of the world and they wanted to do business, and they they would make a big distinction and call out the Christians for their separateness and for their exclusivity and for their intolerance so that it would take the pressure off of them. Do you see what I'm saying? So they were suffering at the hands of the Jews, Not they were suffering some at the hands of the Jews by... By active and and and, um, straight suffering by the hands of the Jews, but most of it would come indirectly from the Jews who would point to them and say, "You need to make them suffer. They are not compromising. They are being separatists." You see what I'm saying? So they would call curses upon them from the community, from the culture, and that they would suffer at the hands of the Jews in many different ways, but this being one. It says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. He says, don't be scared of it. Uh, Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, uh, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He's saying exactly what happened in the story of Daniel. He's saying, you just watch. You just watch through this period of testing. And just like Daniel, not only will you make it, but you will come out fat, plump, and happy in the presence of the Lord. I think I have the Daniel disease. It doesn't matter. If all I eat is vegetables, I still get fat. It doesn't matter sometimes what you do in the economy of God. You cannot go wrong. If you put all of your eggs in Jesus' basket, if you put all of your hope in him, if you put all of your significance, all of your identity, everything at the foot of the cross, you cannot go wrong. That's right. They can take away anything they want to in this world, but they cannot take what is truly most important. As a matter of fact, as I read, I start to realize that the more they take here, the more we gain there. The more we, the more we lose here, the more they take here the more we gain there. And that's what Daniel tells us, is that when those 10 days were over, they were found to be in a better state than those who had been indulging themselves in all of the kings of this world, all of the king's goods and all of the king's things. He says, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt, By the second death. I want you to turn over with me to to Romans chapter 8. Starting in verse 18. This is how I'll finish out the the sermon here today. Romans chapter 8 verse 18 says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed My translation says, to us. I've done some work right here, and I really think that it should be in us, um, a better translation. But either way is fine, but I'll I'll tell you what I mean in just a second. For I consider the suffering of this present time, the sufferings of this present time are are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us or in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God... For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself... For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes in what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see, we can make this about us. And we can draw some pretty cool Uh, Tips and advice and we can draw some pretty cool um, wisdom out of this to apply to our lives to become better daddies and and better fathers and better mommies and better wives and husbands and so on and so forth and there's plenty of good advice and tidbits in there that that would be amazing And, and apply them praise the Lord but I want to tell you who this is truly talking about This speaks of Jesus Christ who suffered the death of all deaths that he might be glorified with the glory that's never been seen except the beginning of time when he shared that glory with the Father. You see, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. You see, Jesus Christ is the one who suffered in ways that we could not imagine so that he would be glorified. Now, this does apply to us, but how? As as me and a gentleman spoke this morning, you see, you can try and gain this victory by your own will and effort and de- desire to overcome sin. And you can fight against sin. And you can war against sin. But I'm going to tell you right now, you will not be able to win. You will not be able to make it through the suffering apart from the one who went to the cross and died in our place and was ro- rose again. He rose again from the dead and he came back to life through the power of the resurrection by him in him and through him is the only way that you will survive. It's the only way. I don't know if you're seeing the tie yet, but you see what Jesus Christ said at the beginning of the letter to the Smyrna, to Smyrna. What did he say? The one who is the first and the last, who died and came to life. You see you're going to suffer people of God, but you're going to have to you're going to have to enter in through Christ who for the joy that was set before him for the joy set before him endured the cross despising its shame he was the one that considered all the sufferings of this world nothing when compared to the glory that would be revealed in him he was the one that that, that, that counted it as all loss for the creation waits eagerly Longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage. Let me break that down a little bit as we all stand to our feet. You see, the creation, you being in creation. There's, we are, we are in this world, aren't we? We're in this world. We're not of this world, believers, but we're in this world. And there's suffering all around us. There's suffering in our lives. There's suffering in others' lives. There's suffering in the lives of our children. And so what is it for? I hear this question all the time and I see this as a as as an argument against Christianity somehow but we understand through the text that it's the suffering that is meant to lead us to the hope of Christ because apart from Christ there is no release there is no answer there is no hope there is no joy for all of this finds its resolution in the one who died and came to life again Jesus Christ is the one who went through the fire and came out to demonstrate a purity like no others. Jesus Christ is the one who was persecuted and broken off from the land of the living that we might be included by his righteousness. He suffered so that we might live. Now, parents, men and women of God, believers, The question is, will you, like Christ, suffer for Christ's sake, for the sake of those around you, for the sake of your children? Will you put aside earthly things in order to prove that Jesus Christ is who he said he is? That's exactly what Daniel did. See, I know there's a lot of other things that you could be doing besides... Loving God and worshiping and teaching and leading your children, loving your wife and serving her and, 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 and glorifying God with your life. I know there's a million and one different things, especially in our culture. Goodness gracious. Video games, shopping, baseball, softball. Lord have mercy. And all those things, that's all well and good, whatever. But are you sacrificing the cross for these things? Or are you ready and willing to sacrifice these things for the cross? I ask you today, who are you? I ask you today, are you persevering? I ask you today, do you even care at all about Jesus? And for those of you who are pressing on and, and looking up, I encourage you. I encourage you. I know that the waters rise and, 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 the, and the winds blow. I know that it's coming. I know that you're suffering some things, some more than others. I understand that. But you take heart. You take heart. Because, of all, because all these things, they're just serving to prove your faith. All these things are just serving to prove Christ's faithfulness. All these things are just serving to show exactly who you are and who you belong to. And when you come out on the other side, you see, this text doesn't say that those who conquer will not suffer the first death. Does it say that? No. What does it say? They will not suffer the second death. Words are important. Words matter. You're going to, unless the Lord comes back before then, one day you're going to breathe your last here on this side. One day. You may give it all up. That's why it says those who persevere and those who are faithful even unto death, I will give the crown of life. It means that you consider your life here nothing compared to, to Jesus Christ and being with him never compromise people of God never back down never slow down and when you feel faint when you feel weary you look to Christ who is the faithful witness who did stay faithful even unto death who did conquer the grave who did come back so that we might not be conquered by the second death so that we might escape the second death all hope honor and glory to Jesus Christ he is he is our hope and our joy and our everything and I praise his holy name today I praise his holy name we'll have a time of uh, response here if you need to do some business with the Lord you can do it where you stand or raise your hand I'll come pray with you or come down here to the front or whatever we got a bunch of people to pray with you down here we just want you to do business with God wherever and whenever and however let's get busy guys Let's get busy for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's transform this world and transform our families, starting with the transformation of ourselves through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go. Respond accordingly.